Amarasso, Director of Veterans Outreach for the Small Business Administration, will tell us the facts about funding businesses for veterans. And, of course, Dawn Shaw with the latest news from the VA today. That's Wednesday, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill, WJFF. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville. Building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Radio Catskill and Catskill Brewery present Apple Pie Palooza, Saturday, October 8th. 5 to 9 p.m. at Catskill Brewery in Livingston Manor. Eat pie, win pie, bring home pie. Enter the Apple Pie Baking Contest at WJFFRadio.org. Plus, dancing in the tent with WJFF's DJs, Jason Tuga, Nick Forte, and me, Cassie. Apple Pie Palooza, October 8th, benefiting Radio Catskill. Welcome to the Local Edition News and Information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, live from our studios in Liberty, New York. And we'll be doing our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat editor, Joseph Abraham, joins us coming up. We'll also be talking model trains in just a moment. Holly Fire Department model train show and sale is coming up this weekend. We'll learn more about that. But first, uh, this is a time of the week where we check in with Sullivan County. And Sullivan County's fall roadside and trail litter pluck is now in full swing. It's going uh, from now right on through October 31st. And it happens uh, by resolution of the county legislature. You say the disposal fee will be waived during that time for roadside and public trail litter as a way to encourage people to pick up. It's an event coordinated by the County Parks, Recreation, Beautification Department, and the Division of Public Works. And Radio Catskills' Patricio Rabayo got a chance to speak to the director of the Parks Department, Brian Scardafield, today, earlier today, uh, about the litter pluck. And here's what he had to say. Okay, the fall roadside and trail litter pluck event uh, is going to be held now through October 31st. Um, participants can pluck litter from the Sullivan County roads and trails and um, bring the litter to the county transfer stations um, to get free disposal. Um, we do hand out uh, disposal coupons that participants are required to pick up prior to plucking. Um, and they can be obtained at the uh, town and village halls, uh, the Sullivan County Parks Office, and many of the trail supporters and organizations throughout Sullivan County. This has started to become a biannual event for Sullivan County. How important is to have an event like this, to have a little plug, to have residents out there helping it, helping out? and picking up litter from the side of the road and cleaning up the trails. Um, on our spring litter pluck, we were able to bring in approximately 450 bags of litter off our roads and trails and over 150 tires. So it's um, 
a great success. Uh, so that's why we decided to see about holding a fall um, event as well, uh, just to clean up after the summer um, and just try to get a place looking as pristine as possible. Wow, that is a lot of garbage. And I said it's a good good event to have in the fall, except to clean up after the, the busy summer that we did have. So folks are going to be out there on the roads, going to be out there in the trails. What things can you recommend to our listeners to uh, what things they should wear, what things they should be aware of uh, before they go out there and uh, pick up litter? Okay. Uh, first, they can pick up the coupons, like I said, at all the locations. Um, they'll get um, a litter pluck and safety guideline sheet also. Uh, it tells you to wear like hard toe shoes, bright colors, um, tick repellent if you're out on the trails or along the roads in the tall grass. Litter pluckers, so you're not touching the garbage itself. You can wear rubber gloves as well. And then it's basically bag it up and bring it to the local uh, county transfer stations for disposal. Right. And now this is running until uh, October 31st, right? Yes, this is going to run now through October 31st. Uh, the only other thing I want to add in, too, is if um, you do a state road, you need to get a um, permit from the New York State Department of Transportation. Um, but we can, if they, you can find out that information when you pick up your coupons. People can get more information by calling uh, 845-807-0287 or email scparks at sullivanny.us. Uh, Brian, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on you want listeners to know about the Parks Department or uh, the Roadside and Trail Litter Plug that's happening? Um, just with the Litter Plug, that we appreciate everyone's support in this program. Um, it's a great event, and it just helps get our county looking as great as we can. That's great. With the Sullivan County Fall Roadside and Trail Litter Plug is happening now until October 31st. So you can get involved and help clean up Sullivan County. So we're talking to the Parks Director, Brian Scarsfield, about the Little Plug. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the local edition and letting us know about this uh, great event that's happening all month long. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Robayo. And information about the Litter Pluck is available from Sullivan County Department of Parks, Recreation, Beautification at 845-807-0287. That's 845-807-0287. You can also email scparks at sullivanny.us. This is a local edition. We're keeping you connected. I'm Jason. Thank you so much for being here with us this evening on a Monday evening. Still to come, we've got uh, the local news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat editor, Joseph Abraham, will tell us the latest on what his paper is covering in our area. But first, it's time to talk trains. A Holly Fire Department model train show and sale. It's going to have over 88 tables. Uh, at it. It's happening this coming weekend on October 2nd. And we're talking now with Bill Delling, who's helping make this happen, joining us live on the phone. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So is that accurate? 88 tables of, of trains and train, a model train, uh, uh, paraphernalia. What, what sort of things do you have? Okay. Yes, it's true. We have 88 tables and we have everything from, uh, actual complete train sets to individual locomotives, cars, scenic accessories, um, uh, lanterns. We have uh, railroad apparel. Uh, we even have a vendor who was with the O&W Historical Society, which, as everyone over there knows, was uh, a railroad back in the 50s and even in the 1800s. 
up until 1957 when it was abandoned. Right. Um, we, uh, we do this as a fundraiser, and uh, the time of the show is 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Admission is $3 for an adult, under 12, free with an adult. And one of our major draws is we have two layouts. One is a fully scenic N-scale layout, and another is a vintage 50s and 60s American Flyer S-gauge layout where the kids and adults, if they want, can interact with the old accessories. I think the most common gauge people might be familiar with is the HO. Um, if, if people are thinking of that as a standard train size and the N scale is much smaller, what what's the S scale? S scale um, at one time was a very popular scale. It was made by American Flyer. It's uh, kind of between HO and Lionel 027, 072 gauge. Uh, some people say that's the ideal gauge, but it's up to everybody whether they believe, you know, what they believe in and what they like, you know. Uh, the two major scales now is N and HO, and Lionel also has a big following. Now, um, so 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 that S scale would be like a bigger, those are some bigger model trains. Um, like you said, things, you know, that scale used to be popular. I mean, the, the two things that we just said for people that aren't familiar with model trains, like that A shows you like how much there is to know that there's different sizes of trains that people get into collecting and displaying and building uh, layouts for the different sizes of trains. Um, uh, but it, so it shows like how far people can get into this if they really get into it. My question to you is, are people still into it? You don't, you don't necessarily, you know, see kids getting trains as much at, at holidays as you used well, to. No, one thing, one thing I try to impress on the parents if they're listening is if you're looking for something to show your kids, the American flyer layout, the kids that see it, they get a kick out of it. They get a kick out of operating accessories and everything else. And maybe, they just might get a little flame and being interested in trains. Uh, but you're right. Anymore, it's video games, laptops, iPads, and all that. And we try to show them that there's something different that they can get interested in. Well, and there's a there's a craft side to this, too, because if people, uh, some people really get into the modeling side of it, that it's not just the trains, but their, their scale of buildings and vehicles and even figures of people. And, and some folks get into you know, making their own landscape and things like that for the trains. Well, it, it's a hobby that the whole family can get involved in. Uh, you have scenery, you have electrical, carpentry, uh, operational, you know, and a lot of times the mother and daughter and everything, they like to get involved with the scenery and you know, it, it can be a whole family experience. You said this is a fundraiser. Is it a fundraiser for the fire department? Yes, uh, it's a fundraiser. We started the train shows. I started them back about 21 years ago as a fundraiser. Uh, this show will put us over the 17,000 attendance mark. Wow. Over the course, so over the course of the past two decades plus, this, this will be right. 17,000 right. people have walked through to, to check out the, the trains there. And, uh, so, so you, you say you have different vendors. Where, where are these vendors coming from? All over. I have them from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, um, 
they're all over. It's, you know, some are private individuals, some are dealers. It's just, you know, it's a whole uh, conglomerate of people that have trains that, you know, sell them and, you know, they barter some trade. It, it's everything. Do you, do you have a train set up at, at your house? I have a small layout. It's a six by 16 foot layout. That's that's but that's still that's, a lot more than most people have. I was wondering if before we go, you could just talk a little bit about about the trains that that you're into that that you collect that you have at your house. Well, I just have an HO scale layout. Uh, I for three and a half years when I was an engineer on the uh, Black O Action storage line, I didn't even touch it because after eight to twelve hours a day on the real thing when you got home. You just didn't feel like playing with toy trains or model trains, so, you know. Wow, but now that you're retired, does it get you, uh, uh, does it bring back good memories uh, from when you were actually on the line? Yeah, it does, you know. Um, the only bad memories is uh, when you had derailments, and, you know, that wasn't too hot. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. So, um, so one more time, this is the model train show and sale, the, the benefit Holly fire department is it happening there at the fire department. Yes. Uh, we're located right behind the post office, right off main street. There'll be signs. You can't miss it. Um, and another thing before, uh, we go, if anyone's interested Saturday, we have a indoor flea market and that's from nine to three. And oh. Admission is nothing for that. It's an open type thing. Okay, so so it's a fundraising weekend there at the Holly Fire Department with the flea market on Saturday. Model train show and sale happening on Sunday, uh, and it's going from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. We've been talking to Bill Delling. who's putting the whole thing on. Bill, I want to thank you for talking trains with us here. And I'd like to thank you for having me. And uh, to all the rail fans and probably prior rail employees in the uh, Sullivan County, Stop on over. We'd like to see you. All right. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Okay, this is a local edition. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for the latest news from Sullivan County Democrat here on Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Kusar Grace KG, right here in the place to be. The Music Emporium, Tuesday, 7 to 9, on 90.5 FM, community-supported radio, serving the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania, and the Upper Delaware Valley. All those other towns, villages, and hamlets who pick up our broadcast, big shout-out to you. On the next through line from NPR. We see these moments where Sesame Street introduces something. Sometimes you get pushed back. While there were conservative voices saying that the show was trying to sell something that they didn't necessarily want their children to buy, voices on the left were saying, you folks aren't going far enough. The birth of Sesame Street and the controversies that followed. Tuesday afternoon at 2 on Radio Catskill. During their summer recess, the January 6th committee has been gathering new evidence in their case against former President Donald Trump. We've been hearing from lots of new people. They watch what's happening on TV and then they realize they've got something relevant to tell us or they 
have a change of heart. Now they're convening another public hearing. Join us for live coverage and analysis Wednesday from NPR News. Now we expect that live coverage to start at 1 p.m. on uh, Wednesday afternoon. Go for at least a couple hours, if not a little bit longer. Again, special coverage from NPR starting at 1 o'clock uh, this Wednesday, unless plans change, because everything in Washington, D.C. is always up for grabs and might change. But this is what we're expecting right now. So catch it here on Radio Catskill, your public radio station, your NPR station for the Catskills Northeast Pennsylvania. We'll also be uh, streaming it live on our website as well. The video of it, if you want to see it visually. Right now, it's time to get back to the local edition. And every Monday, we're checking with Sullivan County Democrat to see what's making news, what's going on in the county. Everything that's coming up in tomorrow's edition of the Sullivan County Democrat for that we turn to Joseph Abraham, Sullivan County Democrat, editor for our weekly news roundup. Welcome back, Joe. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to be on with you guys. So a story that, that we uh, mentioned uh, a few weeks ago here on on uh, the local edition was the, the situation with uh, Lake Jefferson, people trying to uh, save the dam. I thought they were trying to save the dam. Sounds like there might be different plans going on. Uh, the dam that creates Lake Jeff is no longer in compliance. So what's the latest uh, on that, and what impact is it having on the village? Sure. So... Um there are still the Lake Jeff Conservation Association, which formed in 2020 uh, with the long-term goal of renovating the dam, uh, which was damaged uh, in the historic flood of 2006. The spillway of the dam was uh, damaged. Uh, That was sort of the plan, but uh, engineers that the association had hired concluded the dam, which is 95 years old, mind you, uh, is no longer in compliance with state and federal regulations. So renovations are kind of out of the question. And and the difficult thing with the dam is that it is regulated by the DEC at the state, from a state perspective, but also because of the um, the micro hydro powered operation uh, that's been in the dam's history since the uh, mid eighties. And I know everyone at WJFS is very familiar with that uh, for many reasons uh, with the history of even the station Uh, because of that, component, the micro-hydropower component, it also uh, has to adhere to the regulations of the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, or FERC. And recently, after many years of it being considered a low-hazard dam, uh, it was actually reclassified by FERC, or they were told, or the GREFs who own the dam were told that it is a high-hazard dam, which essentially means that if, it miss, if there's a misoperation, if it's failure, it could result in the loss of life, uh, significant economic losses, damages to uh, downstream property, critical infrastructure, et cetera. So with all of these different sort of situations in mind, uh, the GREFs who own the dam uh, are working with the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and American Rivers, which is a nonprofit who is um, going to be working with them to find the funding to have the spillway removed as, as sort of this public safety measure uh, in the near, um, you know, not so distant future, that also takes a process and isn't something that happens overnight. But that's sort of the direction that the the owners of the dam have to go in for that uh, reason. But when a spillway is removed, and you know, there is essentially, if it's gone, then Lake Jeff will cease to be Lake Jeff, and it will uh, revert back to being a stream as it was prior to 1927 when it was constructed. 
So the Lake Association uh, recently uh, had a chance to speak with them, and they cited a few studies. Uh, one was by the U.S. Corps of Ar- uh, Engineers and uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in 2010, uh, which they say describes how dams in the east branch of the Calicoon Creek have sort of worked together in the past to control certain flooding issues um, within Jeffersonville, which those locally know Jeffersonville has a history with flooding and, and of these types of events. Uh, you know, they have that study. They also were uh, had a study done that they, from an engineer they hired in Parksville, West Illing, or Isling. Um, apologies if I mispronounced that name, uh, which showed that, like, heavy precipitation when it comes in large amounts of water can be directed towards Jeffersonville in a short amount of time. So all of these sort of different factors, and they cited to me uh, in an interview that, you know, before the dam was created in uh, 1927 uh, and the lake and everything like that, it seemed they were citing in history that that these flooding events occurred more frequently uh, before the dam was built, and it seemed less often after it was built. So with all these factors, the Lake Association is under the impression and believes that the best course forward is for them to build a new dam or have a new dam, but that's not cheap. Uh, Dams, uh, they were told by engineers prior to, uh, in 2020, that uh, it would cost anywhere from $1 to $2 million for a new dam. And mind you, this is all before recent inflation in this country, right? So who knows how much that would particularly cost. So uh, the the Lake Association, in the meantime, is hoping that they can speak with uh, a their new congressional representative, because current, even though Pat Ryan was recently elected, uh, he's only going to be our representative for New York 19 for a couple of months, because once November comes, starting January 1st, it'll, he won't be in the 19th district, so it'll be either Molinaro, who's a Republican, uh, Mark Molinaro, or it'll be Josh Riley. So whoever that representative is, they're going to engage them and see if that person could possibly secure uh, the recently passed Infrastructure Act the monies from that that could potentially go towards a new dam. But that is all questionable, right? Like we don't know whether or not that's actually going to happen. So in the meantime, you know, the owners of the property uh, or of the dam, I should say, because the lake is also is privately owned by a different person. Uh, the owners of the dam have to move forward with what they feel is best in this public safety measure uh, aspect. And, and, and neither side, is arguing that this current dam is going to do the job. Like it needs to go like that's the spillway needs to go, but it's a matter of whether or not uh, a new dam is the answer, which seems to be the question. Uh, so in the meantime, American rivers, uh, you know, when I was speaking to a representative from them, they're actually their director of river restoration, uh, that, they were looking at preliminary data and they stated that they don't believe that the dam Lake Jefferson dam provides, flood storage protection and that what it's doing is minimal and that it would take a fairly expensive study, they told me, which would be like hundreds of thousands of dollars to determine the flood risk in the community and how a potential flood uh, storage dam could abate that risk. Uh, So, you know, I asked, you know, is a natural floodplain restoring it to a stream? Is a dam like what is a better generally would be a better flood protection plan or what would be the better option, which, you know, they, the American Rivers representative told me that's the big question. There's no really easy way to answer it. Um, But regardless, uh, in the short term, what everyone does know is that this current spillway needs to be removed. 
So uh, for, for safety purposes. So that's sort of where we're at. And so that's why the title of tomorrow's main story is that Lake Jeff faces an uncertain future because we know that the spillway and, uh, you know, situation has to be addressed. No one is debating that. But the question will be in the future, once that happens, what will happen? Are they, Will there be a new dam or will it return back to what things were like prior to the, you know, late 1920s? So that's what we have to wait and see. Right. I think um, while while we're on the topic of local water stories, maybe let's uh, make sure we get in this thing about the New York Clean Water Green Jobs Bond. There's people that are supporting that, asking voters to help them flip the ballot. Can you tell us about this uh, Environmental Bond Act? Yeah, I unfortunately uh, don't have a whole lot of info on it. Uh, I do know that it's one of our stories in tomorrow's paper. Our staff writer, Derek Kirk, was at an event last week at the Catskill Brewery uh, in Livingston Manor, where representatives from the Friends of the Upper Delaware River, I believe the Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther was also present, uh, and uh, they had a whole sort of forum for members of uh, and to try to talk sort of about this issue, and because um, I believe it is coming up on the ballot in November. But um, I personally don't have uh, it in front of me to know exactly sort of the back history of it, but... Uh, I know that it's an issue that the Friends of the Upper Delaware River are extremely passionate about, and um, they've been very active with environmental issues locally for a while. Okay, and finally, like I know that that there's a there's a strong connection between Sullivan 180, who we check in with uh, every month here, and also Sullivan Renaissance. Um, but now the Gary Foundation saying that these two things are officially merging. What? Why is this happening? Yeah, so Sullivan Renaissance uh, and Sullivan 180 uh, have been doing a lot of community work uh, for a while. Renaissance, I think, is about 22 years old, and they started this idea of beautification. And I know many elected officials throughout the years have joked, like, well, you know, when we first heard this thing was starting, you know, we didn't know how that could make a difference in the community when we had all these different economic issues, you know, fallout from the hotels closing and stuff. And really, it's been amazing. You know, they've given out millions of dollars in projects. Uh, and, and so forth over the past two decades, and it's uh, really made a big difference in the community. And on the 180 side, they're obviously a little uh, younger. I think they've only been around for a couple years now. You know, we're trying to tackle these health issues in our community. Um, you know, particularly we have a poor health ranking. It's been said many times, second to last in the state. Uh, so pretty much Sandra Gary, who's like the founder of these organizations, uh, announced last week at this event they had at Bethel Woods for all of their volunteers, which are very uh, integral, par- integral parts of what they do, uh, that said that these two would be joining forces uh, in 2023 to focus their collective attention on the health and well-being of our youth, and particularly children of the area. Um, and she was citing sort of uh, the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic really magnified a lot of the issues facing our youth. So moving forward, uh, you know, they're going to be one entity, and it seems like the first thing that they're going to tackle together is is our youth population and how they can um, help empower the younger generation, as they said, and that's already a name of one of the programs that exists um, currently. So, You know, I've been wondering what next steps are for Sullivan Renaissance just because, you know, as with everybody, I think the pandemic disrupted their their usual pattern, that 
for for years and years they'd have this pattern of giving a community seed money to do, to do projects in their communities different entities uh but then there'd be a, a competition there'd be like a whole awards and that was a big part of it with the judging and everything and i know the judging uh, that component of it hasn't happened uh since the pandemic hit so this could be another an, another angle another path forward for renaissance with them combining these projects it'll be interesting to see what uh comes out of this yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, when they started, they had clear visions on what both organizations wanted to tackle. Life is very fluid, right? Like none of us expected the pandemic to happen in 2020. And it's changed a lot of things in, in many different facets of life. So I think with both cases, they, you know, are looking at what the future holds and what, you know, they feel is uh, are prominent issues that they can face and, and better tackle together. So, It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens moving forward. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us once again on a Monday. Uh, Joseph Abraham from the Sullivan County Democrat. New edition of the Democrat hits newsstands tomorrow, and uh, we'll be talking to you again next Monday. All right. Look forward to it. All right. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. News and information. We keep you connecting the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I've been your host, Jason Dole. I'll be back tomorrow night. Coming up, we've got 51% kicking off our lineup of phenomenal uh, public affairs and uh, political and informational programming um, on a Monday night. And this is also the night uh, where at the end of the month we hear from uh, Outcasting, the youth LGBTQ project, instead of This Way Out. So that's coming up next as well. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from 52 and Vine, a wine and spirit shop in Jeffersonville featuring local, national, and eclectic vintners and distillers. 52andvine.com. From the Upper Delaware Welcome Center at the Narrowsburg Union, featuring information about regional attractions and activities, along with products by the region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. Narrowsburgunion.com. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello.